The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 for our text reading today, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. We had a wonderful early morning service at 9.30 and I'm excited about what the Spirit might want to do here during this 11 o'clock series, uh, service. Uh, we're currently in a series that we've entitled Blue Collar Gospel where we are kind of working through the implications of the gospel in the life of the believer. And so for the first three weeks of this series, we, we laid a philosophical and theological foundation for some of what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. And, and this is somewhat of a transition week in this series because from here on out, we're going to be dealing with specific issues, specific struggles in the life of the believer and how we can take those issues, we can take those struggles and really allow the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to help grow us through those issues into an, a place where we can glorify God in every arena of our life. And so I'm so glad that you're here today, and uh, I'm looking forward to how the Lord's going to continue to use His Word in our hearts and in our lives. Um, I mentioned a few months ago how my family and I had the opportunity of signing up for one of these 5K uh, mud runs. And I don't know if any of you know what a mud run is, uh, but it's one of these things you sign up with your kids and your family and you go on this run and, and throughout the run there are these obstacles that I think are designed to get you extremely muddy. I think this is a picture of us before the mud run. Uh, I'm too embarrassed to put up a picture of us after the mud run because it was not pretty. And I remember we came to that first obstacle after running a few hundred yards and it was this mud pit, just muddy water, mud, and there was a net about maybe 12 inches above that pit and we had to dive down, me, my wife, my kids, and we started crawling through this mud, this muck, this dirty water, and we came out about 25 feet later out of this thing just drenched and covered with mud. And I'll say, this that was just the beginning every couple hundred yards there was another obstacle and every single obstacle was designed to get you as dirty as possible and I remember getting to the end of that thing and I felt like I was just caked in mud it felt like it was like an inch thick and I was not feeling good now I don't know about you and, and maybe I shouldn't say this but even after a day maybe going camping or something and I haven't had a shower I just feel icky I feel grimy and the only thing I want to do is go take a shower anybody like me it just kind of you're like oh I just don't I don't like that feeling how many of you like man I could go a week without taking a shower I'm just being one with the nature and uh, we, there's different personalities on this one right and I remember getting done and, and we had to wait for a while when this uh, 5k was done I think they had to give us our medals or something and we're sort of sitting there it's in the sun that Mud is starting to get caked on us, and I remember just feeling so icky, so dirty, and I started kind of complaining to my wife about it. I was just like, man, I, this is not fun at all. I remember my wife saying to me, hey, just don't think about it, and you'll be fine. <laughs> don't think about it, I'll be fine. I've got an inch thick of mud over my entire body, you know? And uh, the reason I tell that story is to simply say this. You know, if you and I were to be really honest... We are to be totally transparent. I think many of us would say that we struggle with the feeling that somehow we're spiritually dirty. That deep down, we're just messed up. 
which kind of leads me to our theme this morning, and that is this. Uh, God offers believers something so much greater than just feeling better. My wife said, don't think about it, you'll feel better. I'm thinking, I don't want to feel better, I want to take a shower, I want to be clean. (laughs) And yet God offers us something so much better than just feeling better. The world's like, do this, you'll feel better, do that, you'll feel better. And and God says, I've got something better. God actually makes us, get this, completely clean through the gospel. And this, my friend, is good news. It's such good news. Inside your program guide, there are some notes that you can use to follow along through our Bible study. We're going to go to different passages of the scripture, and we're, we're really going to look at what the, the, the good news for people who, who struggle with this guilt and with this shame. Um, for those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text today, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. I'm going to begin in verse number 9. Read down through verse number 11. This is pretty in a pretty intense passage. Apostle Paul is writing to this church at Corinth. Here's what he has to say. He says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's some strong language, my friend. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But. This is good. This is good. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you don't know what that word justified means, let me give you a very practical definition. The word justified, you can remember it this way. Justified, the definition would sound like this. It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's how you can remember it. What does justified mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. And just as if I'd always obeyed. And the Bible says, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I want to speak on this subject of good news for people who struggle with guilt and struggle with shame. Shall we go to the Lord in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, we can stand before your holiness justified. We can stand in your presence sanctified. We can stand in your presence holy and blameless, and righteous, not because of our performance, but because of Christ's performance on our behalf. I pray that you would stir within us the faith, the confidence, the dependence to believe that word of promise 
in our own hearts and in our own lives. Pray that you'd bless your word as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. Over these past couple of weeks, we've been giving what we're calling the gospel framework. These are not the essence of the gospel, but it is implications or ramifications of the gospel. They are logical conclusions. If the gospel is true, then these statements are also true. There are four statements that we've been focusing in on that provide a framework that you and I can use functionally and practically to work issues that we face and we can take these issues and work them through this gospel framework so that we can arrive uh, victorious on the other side of these struggles. So let me put up a little icon, a graph here to remind you of what these are. You see, one of the implications, one of the ramifications, one of the logical conclusions, if the gospel is true, is it, revi- it reveals, one of the things the gospel reveals is it reveals what sin does to us. The gospel reveals what sin does to us. But it also reveals what, what God does for us in the midst of that sin and how he meets us in his grace and in his mercy. It doesn't just show us what God does for it. It, it shows us what Christ does in us in making us a new creature and giving us a new identity and giving us a new essence at our very core. This is part of the good news. And then eventually the gospel also reveals what the Spirit promises to do through the believer for the glory of Jesus Christ if we are surrendered to him and by faith believe that what the gospel declares is our new reality. I like to refer to this as a gospel framework for spiritual maturity. And so what we're going to do today is something very, very particular. We are going to take the issue of guilt and the issue of shame, and we are going to take those issues and we are going to work them through this gospel framework. We're going to process them through this gospel framework in a way that I hope will reveal to you how you can get victory in this area in your life. Each week, we're going to take a different issue and work it through this gospel framework so that each and every one of us can know how to get victory over situations and struggles that we face in our everyday life. And I hope, my prayer is, that even if we don't touch on an issue that you personally deal with, that by the time we are done with this, you have a process that you can take the thing that you struggle with the thing that you wrestle with, and you have a framework that you can use and take that issue through this process so that you, through the the good news of the gospel, can also get victory. So let me give us one illustration here in this sermon today, and we'll just continue to move through this a little bit this morning as we process our guilt and process our shame through this gospel framework that I believe will help us to experience victory in our everyday lives. So let's begin today. If you're taking notes, pull out your guide. As we begin to work our way through the gospel framework, specifically as it applies to guilt and it applies to shame, first we must start by having, get this, the humility to admit what sin does to us in this particular area of our lives. What does sin do to us when it comes to guilt and when it comes to shame? 
Which brings us to our first thought this morning, and that is this, the agony of guilt, agony of shame. Let me define guilt and shame because there's a lot of confusion around it. So definition here. We understand what guilt is. Guilt is, I did something wrong. I missed the mark, as the Bible would declare it. I sinned, and therefore I experienced guilt. Guilt is connected to a behavior. It is connected to an action. It's connected to an expression that you uh, uh, express in the physical realm. We understand what guilt is. We, we know where we missed the mark. We know what we did last Friday. We know what we did last week. And all of a sudden, these things make us feel guilty because of what we've done. Shame is something different. Shame is feeling bad about who I am. It's where we start feeling guilty about certain things and that guilt gets so far deep into our soul and our spirit that it starts to inform our identity. It starts to inform how we see ourselves. It starts to inform how we feel about ourselves. And all of a sudden we start seeing ourselves as somebody who has missed the mark, somebody who has sinned. It's our identity. And now shame begins to be the outflow of our life. And for For many of us, shame is so deep that we don't even understand it consciously. It just becomes that which filters and taints everything in our life. The way we see, the way we respond, the way we behave. Why? Guilt is feeling bad about what I've done. Shame is feeling bad about who I am. Let me give you some examples of shame. There may be some in here today and... You can have shame around something bad, something wrong, something morally deficient. But you can also experience shame around things that are not even your fault. That weren't your sin or your wrongdoing. It could be the result of somebody else's sin, somebody else's wrongdoing. There might be people in this room and and you feel a sense of shame around your physical appearance. It's not even something you do, but you're convinced there's something wrong with me, even just physically. I'm not shaped right. The world says this is what a beautiful person looks like. The world says this is what a a handsome guy looks like. This is how tall they are. This is how skinny they are. This is how beautiful they are. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, shame starts to seep in because maybe we feel like maybe uh, I'm a little overweight or I'm not tall enough or I'm not good looking enough. And so what you're experiencing is not guilt. You're experiencing the shame of feeling bad about who you are. Some people in here might feel shame about their education status. You didn't graduate from high school. You didn't finish college. You you work in an environment where everybody has degrees and they're educated and there's a certain level of shame that you feel because of, of your education levels. It's not even something bad that you've done per se, but you still feel a sense of shame. You feel bad about who you are. It's crazy that in the world we live in, that sometimes our culture can make you feel bad about your ethnic background. 
that somehow because of where you were born or where your grandparents came from, that somehow that is subpar. That somehow you're inadequate, you're insufficient, and the culture presses down a sense of shame around your ethnic background. There are some people in this room, and maybe your shame stems around uh, your financial status. You feel like you're not rich enough. You don't own enough. And so you're always trying to compensate by wearing certain clothes and driving certain cars because deep down you don't feel like you're a good enough person because of how much money you do or do not have. This is shame. This is not feeling bad about something you've done. This is literally now feeling bad about who you are. Some people in this room... You feel bad about the, the way you were raised. Your dad was a drunk, couldn't work, your mom beat you. And you just feel ashamed of, of the way you were raised and the parents you had. Some of you might feel ashamed because you look at your kids compared to other kids and and your kids aren't as smart as other kids. Your kids aren't as fast and as good at athletics as other kids. And, and they're not maybe as uh, put together. Maybe they struggle with some type of, you know, learning disability. And so you feel shame as a parent. Like you're not a good enough parent because of your kids. And there's shame. It, guilt is feeling bad about something you've done. Shame is feeling bad about something you are. If you grew up in a, a very intense religious culture or environment, then even just coming to church can make you feel shame. You walk into church and it just hits you because you know, man, I'm not good enough to be here. Maybe you went to a church where you had to dot your I's and cross your T's and walk the walk and talk the talk and sing certain songs and wear certain clothes and do certain things in order for you to get the general sense that you were, you were accepted in that place. And so even just this thing of coming to church makes you feel inadequate. Makes you feel a little worthless. Makes you feel like you're not quite good enough. It's a shame. And shame can come from something you've done. And shame can also come from something that you believe yourself to be. Shame. The reality is, each and every one of us desperately want to have the deep assurance that we're okay. We long to have the ultimate verdict upon our lives to be declared not guilty. The problem is, we know ourselves all too well, don't we? We know what we've done. For some of us, because our parents or our family or those around us in school were always telling us we were inadequate, we weren't enough, we weren't good enough, we weren't smart enough, we weren't good looking enough, we weren't rich enough. 
and shame begin to be our default MO, our default position of living. And so what we do is we try to fix it. And depending on your personality and depending on the way you move through this world, there's two, there's two primary ways in which we attempt to deal with our shame and with our guilt. One way we try to deal with it is by like, okay, I just got to do better. And this is how some of us deal with our shame. We like overcompensate to try to, well, we're going to build a bigger business. That, that hopefully will make me feel like I'm adequate, that I'll feel like I'm sufficient, and I'll, I'll climb the corporate ladder, and I'll, I'll, be the, I'll be the richest person, you know, of all my friends, and I'll, I'll get the most promotions, and I'll dress the nicest. And, and maybe other people are like, man, I, I, I'll... I'll, uh, I'll uh, you know, I'll read more books and I'll, I'll go to church more and, and anything I can do, I'll, I'll go to seminars to try to learn more. And, and, and so we, we try to just kind of behave our way into being a better person so we can hopefully allow that shame to subside. Other people look at that approach and they're like, I'm never going to be good enough. So they just try to drown it out. Drugs. If they could just forget it for a little bit. Alcoholism. Just make the shame go away for a moment. Drowning themselves in pornography just to kind of make the pain stop for just a second. Drown it with materialism. Maybe if I buy more stuff, maybe if I do more things, maybe I can just start to make this feeling go away that I'm not enough. But I'm here to say this. It doesn't matter how big of a business you build. It doesn't matter how much surgery you have on your body. It doesn't matter how much money you end up putting in your bank account. It doesn't matter how perfect you get as a parent. It doesn't matter how much you drown yourself in addiction. The reality is none of those things are going to cure you of your shame. And here's why. Because shame has nothing to do with your performance. Shame comes from a sense of this is who I am. You will do all of this stuff trying to rid yourself of the shame. And here's what's crazy. Most people don't even realize that the root of all of this is shame. There are people who think, man, when I was a teenager, I had big dreams. And this is what I was going to accomplish. And this is what I was going to do. And I have friends and their thought process was, man, I'm going to be a ministry. I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to serve God in this way. And, and they had these lofty dreams and these lofty ideas. And they feel ashamed that it never came to pass. They feel ashamed that their dreams never came true. They feel second rate. They feel like they didn't fulfill their potential. They didn't fulfill their dreams. They feel like a failure. Now all that's left is shame. And that shame drives them to overcompensate and be better and do more and have more. And if they can't do that, then drown their sorrows in anything that'll cause them to just forget the pain. Some of you, you feel shame as a spouse. Because you have a, a husband and a wife who's always telling you that you're not good enough that you're not good looking enough, that you're not smart enough, that you'll never be enough. And no matter how hard you try to be the father, the mother, the husband, the wife, deep down you believe that you're inadequate. And sometimes that is informed by, by choices and behaviors you made and sometimes it's informed by what people 
whisper into your ear. Shame. You see, we try to improve our performance. I think I'll even throw this on the screen. We try to improve our performance. And we try to reform our behaviors to ease our conscience and to cover up our guilt and our shame. But here's the problem. The problem is our sense of shame stems from a place that is much deeper than our actions. And so since shame doesn't come from our actions, you can't fix it with your actions. These feelings stem from a heart condition. And the truth is this, no matter how good we make ourselves appear, no matter how successful we are, no matter how we present ourselves, we continue to struggle to believe that we're actually good enough people. And this is where the feelings of guilt and shame ultimately come from. The sense that we're not enough. We weren't born into the right families. We weren't shaped the right shape. We did not get our break. We did not get raised by the right parents. We did not marry the right person. We had the kid when we were a teenager. We got sucked into addiction. And shame plagues our existence. I believe this is in your notes, but many Christians incorrectly believe that the verdict hanging over their lives is directly tied to their performance. Did you get that, my friend? Many Christians incorrectly believe that the verdict hanging over their lives is directly tied to their performance. And I I need to say this, and it's very important that I say this. There are consequences to sin. If, you're, if you involve yourself, miss the mark, and involve in behaviors that go against God's plan, the reality is there are ramifications. There are consequences to that. But I'm going to say this for the believer. Shame is not one of them. Shame is not supposed to be a part of the believer's life. And the reason is because of what Christ has done for us. So... By recognizing what sin does to us and beginning to process through this first part of the gospel framework, what we're doing is we are owning it. We are saying this shame, I'm I'm owning it, I'm taking responsibility for it. And that's not saying that, well, it's your fault, I'm not saying that. But you have to own the fact that that shame exists within you and own it, that that's a reality. And it might be because of something your parents did. It might be because of somebody who abused you. And it might be because of something kids at school said or somebody at your work says. But at some point, you've got to say, this shame is plaguing me. Affecting me. David, in the Old Testament, through a set of circumstances, he became... He began to get a little lazy. His laziness led to adultery. In order to cover up the adultery, this is a Bible character, he murdered his friend. And one day a prophet comes to the king and points his bony finger in the face of King David. And he says, thou art the man. And in Psalms chapter number 51, David has to own it. 
the guilt and the shame that came with it. And he says this, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So the first thing we see in our gospel framework, we have to recognize what sin does to us and what does sin do do to us when it comes to guilt and when it comes to shame. It brings agony. It brings suffering. And it's real. Anybody here in this room struggle with shame? It's not just that you feel bad about something you've done. It's gotten to a place you you feel bad about who you are physically, emotionally, relationally. You feel inadequate. You feel insufficient. You feel inferior. And shame, shame comes. But as we continue moving through that gospel framework, not only does the gospel as an implication reveal what sin does to us, it does a second thing. It, it reveals what God does for us. When it comes to that issue. What is God? How does God meet the person who is dealing with shame? If you're here today and you're struggling with shame because you feel like you're not good enough. You feel like you're inadequate. You feel like you're not smart enough, not good enough, not good looking enough, not rich enough. How do you deal with that shame? How does God engage that shame? I want you to see number two. That God removes the source of guilt. This is, ama- this, is, this is scandalous. God doesn't just remove guilt. He doesn't just remove shame. He literally removes the source of that guilt. He removes the source of that shame, which is the sin nature. Ezekiel chapter number 36, verse 26 says this. God says, a new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a new heart of flesh. Here's the scandalous reality of what God does. God doesn't just wink at your bad behavior. doesn't wink at the things that bring shame. God says, I'm going to take away the very things that produces guilt, the very thing that produces shame, and I'm going to replace it with a brand new spirit. I'm going to take away your old nature and put something brand new within you. You see, the spiritual reality is that God doesn't just remove the guilt of sin. He removes the source of guilt, which is the sin nature, and in its place provides justification. Guys, this is what separates religion from Christianity. Religion says you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. You've got to be this good, and you've got to dot these I's. Make sure you go to church and join this social, you know, whatever. Make sure you give money to this. Make sure you dress this. Religion says do, 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 and maybe you'll work your way to God. Christianity says no. God already did everything for you. He literally came down into the mess, into the struggle, into the sin, into the weakness. He got his hands dirty, and God came down to where we are to rescue us because we couldn't do it on our own. That's the difference. And yet we struggle in our shame. I gotta look better. I gotta get more money. I've gotta get more stuff. I've gotta get more things because maybe I can, maybe if I try hard enough, I can get to God. And God says, I've already come to you and I'll meet you right where you're at and I'll give you a new heart, brand new. And then he justifies us. When we place our faith in what God has done, 
He justifies us. He says it's just as if you'd never sinned. Just as if you always obeyed. And that now becomes the verdict of God upon your life. Not because of your performance, but because of the performance of Christ. Because of what Jesus already did. You get his position. You get his righteousness. You get his holiness. You get his, his, his perfection put onto your account. Because of what God has done for me, I am now worthy to experience and enjoy healthy levels of self-respect and confidence, not because I deserve it, but because of what he has done for me. This is how God meets you in your shame. Number three, the gospel framework shows us what sin does to it. It brings agony. It reveals what God does for us. It removes the very source of shame by implanting within us a brand new soul, a new heart. But as we continue to work through this gospel framework, specifically as it pertains to guilt and shame, third, we can't forget what then Christ does in us. The moment we place our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, the Bible says that the Spirit of Christ takes up residence in our soul, animates our lives, and gives us a brand new identity. We are no longer at our essence. We are no longer at our core what we once were. He says, I make you brand new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. You at an essence level, at the core of who you are, the real you inside of you is perfect and blameless and holy and righteous, not because of what you have done, but because of what God did for you. This is amazing. You see, in Christ, I no longer have to focus on everything I've done wrong. I'm now free to focus on everything God has done right on my behalf. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 21 says in the scriptures, for God made Jesus to be sin for us. This is amazing. God made Jesus to be your sin. The perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, bore upon his shoulders all of your sin, every lie you've ever told, everything you've ever st stolen, every word that's come out of your mouth, every lust, every addiction. Every struggle, every temptation was dropped on the shoulders of Jesus and he became your sin. The verse, notice this. For God made Jesus to be sin for us. Know this, who knew no sin. And with that sin, he took the punishment and the consequences and the sin that your, that your unrighteousness deserved. Notice this, that. This is amazing. That we may be made the righteousness of God in him. God says, I'm going to trade you. You give me all of your sin. You give me all of your struggle. You give me all of your weakness. You give me all of your shame. You give me all of your condemnation. You give me your lies. You give me your thievery. You give me your addiction. You give me your lust. You give me your greed. And here's what I'll give you 
in your place. Here's what I'll trade you with. I will give you my righteousness. I will give you my perfection. I will give you my holiness. I'll give you my justification. I will give you my sanctification. I will trade you. He became our sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. The Bible tells us that when we put our faith in God, that our lives, our sin, our ugliness, our weakness is then hidden in Christ. It's hidden. That's to say this, your weakness is hidden in Christ. Your greed is hidden in Christ. Your selfishness is hidden in Christ. Your evil deeds are hidden in Christ. Brokenness, your frailty. See, it's not that God just overlooks your shame, winks at it and says, eh, ain't no big deal. In Christ, you literally have nothing to be ashamed of. Because in Christ, you're the perfection of Christ. At the essence of who you are, you're perfect and holy and in right standing before God. You say, how do I enjoy that reality? How do I experience that reality? By faith. You believe it. That's what we talked about last week. I want you to realize this, that if you are in Christ, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, at the essence of who you are, you are pure. Not because of your flesh, not because of what you've done, not because of how you performed, but because of Christ's work in you and for you, you are pure. You're clean. And you have nothing to be ashamed about because shame is feeling bad about who you are. And Christ says, you are pure. What does sin do do to us? It brings agony. What does God do for us in our shame and our guilt? He sends Jesus to literally remove the source of our guilt. And that's a a sin nature. That's That's that old heart, that old soul. So what does Christ do in us when he takes up residence in our life? He makes us perfect. He gives us a new identity. He gives us a new essence. He gives us a new core. He literally changes us from the inside out. Let's look lastly as we conclude our reflections of overcoming guilt and overcoming shame within the framework of the gospel. We need to remember, fourthly, what the Spirit promises to do through us. You see, the Spirit continually reminds us of our new condition. Here's what the book of Romans, chapter number 8, verse 1, says in the Holy Scriptures. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. You say, I feel ashamed about this, and I feel guilty about this. And the Bible says that in Christ, there is, therefore, now, no condemnation. To them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I want to say this to you today. 
I am no longer a sinner. It is not my identity. It is not my essence. It is not the core of who I am. I am not a sinner. I'm a saint. A saint is one that is perfect. It is one that is righteous. It is one that is holy. But let me say this. If you're in Christ, so are you. You're a saint. You are perfect and you are righteous and you are holy in Christ. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint who sometimes sins. You say, you're a preacher, you're not supposed to say that. I just, I'm admitting it to you. I'm, I'm, I'm repenting to you. I'm a saint at the core of who I am. I'm not a sinner in my identity. And I sometimes sin. Why? Because God's given me a new nature that is perfect, righteous, and holy. That is the core of who I am. What my new me really wants is what God wants. Sometimes my flesh tells me and voices tell me and people tell me, you want this and you want that and you want those things. And God says, no, what you want is Jesus. His perfection, his holiness, his righteousness. Can I say this? God's goal for your life is not to beat you up over your past. See, some of us have this idea, especially if we grew up in real religious environments, that like God is in heaven, real and personal, just waiting for you to mess up. So, <laughs> got that one. Woo! All right, who, who's next? Who's next? Oh, here we go. <laughs> I got that one. Messed up their life. Good. God is not trying to beat you up. He's trying to train you up for the future. He's not trying to get you back for what you've done. He's trying to win you back to himself. See, the enemy wants us to focus on our sin. And that's what shame does. It gets us fixated on how we're not enough and how we're insufficient and inadequate and not enough and we don't look good enough and we don't have enough and we feel awful about ourselves. And so shame is constantly telling you to look at yourself. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to fixate on sin. Get this. The enemy doesn't care how you look at sin. If, if, if you're just obsessing with sin all the time how can I sin again where can I cheat that person and how can I do what I want to do there the enemy a lot of people think that's what the enemy wants just wants you to get you to do all these bad things and all these wrong things and all these horrible things and you know what the enemy's fine if you do that he's totally okay with you just living horribly there's consequences for it we've talked about this in the past there's, there's you're going to experience some pain in the social realm in which we live because of that but you know what? The enemy also doesn't care if you obsess with trying to abstain from sin. And this is another ploy of the enemy. He's perfectly fine if you're always focusing on sin. How can I avoid sin? How can I overcome sin? How can I trick sin? How can I not sin? He doesn't care if you focus on obsessing with sin to overcome it or obsessing with sin to, to just bask in it. As long as you're focused on sin. Because here's what the scripture says. We need to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The Bible tells us it's that as we behold his glory that we are conformed into his image. So the enemy doesn't care if you're obsessed with trying to overcome your sin or you're obsessed with trying to bask in your sin as long as you're focused on your sin and not him. 
And shame, shame constantly causes us to look at something that won't heal. And this is why it's so dangerous, because it causes us to look at ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this enough. Most of what happens in a church world, the tension that we experience, stems from a place of shame. This is, this is big in church. Because we don't feel like we're enough. And everything, our cult, culture around us tells us we're not enough. And so there's, it, just, it just manifests itself in so many ugly ways in the church because of shame. And so we have to overcompensate we got to make ourselves look better than this person. We've got to strive to be, appear more successful. When, when God says, just rest, my child, just rest. In Christ, you're okay. You're okay. I know the world tells you you're not smart enough or not rich enough or not beautiful enough or not this enough or not that enough. Take a breath. You're okay. And it's from that position that we have freedom to look to Christ and eventually see the full manifestations of our transformation because we're looking unto Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. A person who is plagued with shame struggles to keep their eyes on Jesus. And I don't say this to hurt you. I say this because I love you. I want you to be able to fix your eyes on him. So here and we're done. God offers the believer something so much greater than just feeling better. A lot of people come to this church because they want to feel better. What God does is he actually makes us completely clean through the gospel. So here's the takeaway and we're done. Give God your guilt. Stop obsessing with it in your head. Stop running, the shame, give it to God. Give the shame to him. In Christ, you're enough. You're all that you need to be in this moment in Christ. You're free. You don't have to overcompensate. You don't have to run to addictions. You don't have to run to drugs to try to cover it up. You don't have to run to alcohol to try to forget it. You don't have to try to climb the moralistic ladder so you can be better than everybody else's at church so you can feel superior about yourself. You're free to just be and allow his spirit to do his work in and through you. Give God your guilt. Each week as we deal with an issue that we're going to take through this gospel framework, I'm going to end us and end the service with a, with a prayer. It's a specific prayer. I put it in your guide. And you and I know it's not about vain repetition. There's no magic in a certain prayer, but I'm just trying to give you something that you can use to encapsulate our sermon into a little nutshell. And each week we're going to end with that prayer. And hopefully in just a nutshell give you a way to move forward with this. In a moment, we'll have some pastors here at the front. If you want to pray with somebody, we're going to be available to pray and we'll just respond however the Holy Spirit sees fit. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.